Um, was born and raised in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, was converted after 21 years in the world, going through a lot. I've been in New Orleans for two years before I went to Gainesville. Oh, <laughs> That's going from the pot into the fire, let me tell you. That place was just crazy. Um, and then God, you know, a week after I moved to Gainesville, Florida, a brother, I, I got into jazz when I was in New Orleans. There was a guy that, uh, Grover Washington Jr., he's a saxophonist. He's really cool-looking black dude, and he had this beard. And, and this guy met me on the street, and I could swear it was him. It, it looked just like him. And so, you know, I'm going, okay. And he invites me to church. I said, oh, I guess got invited to church by Grover Washington Jr., man. What in the world? His name was Andrew Sanders, and... Uh, I have been going to church ever since then. That was in June of 76. And, uh, you know, at the time, Wyndham Shaw was there and Randy McKean and a bunch of us. It was uh, just, whoa, what happened there? Uh Uh-oh. It just went away. Let's see what happened. See if I can get it back. Is that it? No, that's... It's you guys. Let me try again here. I may have to switch cords. Here, I'm back for the moment. Back for the moment. Maybe I need to move through this a little bit here. So anyway, I, you know, Glenn told me, hey, you're, uh, you're preaching on Ecclesiastes 6 if you want. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever preached out of Ecclesiastes 6. This will be uh, interesting. But you know, honestly, as I've, I've dived into the scriptures this uh, week, and I read through last night, I, I woke up at like three in the morning, and oh, okay, so what am I going to do now? I, I, <laughs> I read through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and it was just amazing. I was like, wow. So I'm sure you guys have done a little themology about this book, but you know, if you look at it from a deeper perspective, if you just take a step back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes. It's meant to give you perspective. Amen. You know, if there's anything you get out of the book of Ecclesiastes, because some of the stuff is a little bit like, whoa, everything's bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's to try and give you perspective. You know, if you look at things from a worldly perspective, which Solomon was coming from, everything does look bad. Yeah. But if you look at things from God's perspective, it changes your perspective on everything. So I'm just going to read through. Amen. Um, this and then we're going to jump in. This is going to be from the Message Bible, okay? Um, because it just sort of amplifies it, brings it out a little bit more. Uh, I thought it was, you know, just a way of doing it. So I'm going to read this, and you can follow along because you probably don't have a Message Bible with you. I looked, and in, in, in the title here for Chapter Six, it said, "Thanks, Glenn. Things are bad." <laughs> <laughs> Things are bad. We're going to preach on things are bad, you know? Things are bad. Oh, I looked long and hard at what goes on around here. And let me tell you, things are bad. And people feel it. There are people, for instance, on whom God showers everything, money, prosperity, reputation, everything they want or dreamed of, and then God doesn't let them enjoy it. Some stranger comes along and has all the fun. It's more of what I'm calling smoke, a bad business. Say a couple have scores of children 
Some of us have that. And live a long life and never enjoy themselves. Even though they end up with a big funeral, which I'm like, okay, big funeral. I say a stillborn baby gets the better deal. I'm like, wow, that's a perspective. It, It gets its start in the mist and ends up in the dark, unnamed. It sees nothing, knows nothing, but is better off by far than anyone living. Now that's a perspective. Wow. Even if someone lived a thousand years, can you imagine living a thousand years? That's a long time. Make it 2,000, but didn't enjoy anything. What's the point? Doesn't everyone end up in the same place? We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. So what advantage has a sage over a fool or over some poor wretch who barely gets by? Just grab whatever you can while you can. Don't assume anything, something better might turn up by and by. It all amounts to anything anyway to smoke and spitting in the wind. You ever tried to do that one? That doesn't work too well. Whatever happens, happens, its destiny is fixed. The more words they're spoken, the more smoke is in the air. And who is any better off And who knows what's best for us as we live out our meager smoke and shadow lives and who can tell any of us the next chapter of our lives. Okay, well that gives us a little perspective, right? Let's see if I can uh, give us a little bit better perspective than that. So the main theme here of Ecclesiastes 6 is satisfaction. Mm. Satisfaction. Now, I grew up in the 60s, so there was a song that we used to have. I can't get no satisfaction. You know, Rolling Stones in our little band in 6th and 7th grade used to play that song. So I can definitely relate. You know, his soul is not satisfied in verse 8. And then it says the soul is not satisfied in verse 6. You know, part of what we got to step back and understand is what is our soul in the first place? What is our soul? Do you have any concept of what the soul is? You know, sometimes we just sort of take life for granted. We don't really think about the soul part of us. You know, it says we work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. Verse 7. Think about that. You know, how hard do you work to feed yourself? I mean, sometimes we have to work like crazy just to get money to get food, right? Yeah. He says, but what happens to our soul? Is it being fed? You know, what are we feeding? You know, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh, means complete life of a being. So your soul is the complete life of your being. That's what it's defined as in the Hebrew language. In Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being, a soul. You know, that hunk of dirt that became Adam was not complete until God had breathed a soul into him. You know what's really interesting? This is just a little sidebar. It's interesting, when Jesus raised from the dead... Do you remember what he did? He breathed. He says he took a deep breath 
and breathed on the apostles. Now, I don't know totally what that all means yet, but there's something about this breath of God. You know, I think when a disciple is made, there is a breath of God experience. It's not about the breath that we take here. The air out here is wonderful. You guys got nice air up here. This is nice. But something about the breath of God is what fills us from the inside out. It's what gives us our soul. And so our soul is the essence of our life. But here's the question. Are we fulfilled or not? Anybody know who these folks are? Okay. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Who's he? Amazon. Owner of Amazon. How much is he worth? $145 billion. Hello. Now, who's the woman next to him? Ex-wife. 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 Mackenzie. So, Jeff Bezos, worth $145 billion, has beautiful family, three kids, and then this woman comes along, Lauren Sanchez. And I go, you know, I look at the two women, I go, really? I mean, what's the difference? They look very like sisters they could be. But he gave up $45 billion so that he could be with her instead of with his wife. Think about that. You know, how much is life worth to us? You know, when you've got that much money, you can give up 45, I mean, we can't even conceive of $45 billion. I mean, even if you had $1,000 bills, that would probably wrap around the world several times. It's unbelievable amount of money. His soul wasn't fulfilled. He had to go outside of his marriage to find someone. And you go, wow, why would you do that? So what is Qualhaleth, which is the name of the teacher from Ecclesiastes, say, cannot fill our soul? Verses 1 and 2, wealth. Verses 3, lots of children, which some of us have lots of children, think that may be a curse and not a blessing, but long life. Verse 6, long life. So wealth, why doesn't it satisfy? I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and it was the country club atmosphere. Yacht Club. I belong to the Core Ridge Yacht Club. And my parents would give us a tab there. It was, it was pretty crazy. But one of the things I learned very quickly is they had this thing called the Biggle, what I call the Bigger Boat Syndrome. Someone would buy this really nice boat. And then next year they're like, ah, I need a bigger boat. Can you relate? You know, you get something and you want more. What is it about us that we cannot be satisfied by physical, material things? Come on, bro. How about just wait until I retire? Uh Oh, Oh, I'm getting Uh close to that, man. The retirement arrow. I'm about two years out, I'm thinking. That's my plan. Beth is retiring next spring. I'm really jealous. Wow. I'm like, really? But she's going to join me in my ministry, so I'm totally fired up about that. Right, honey? You've signed up. There you go. There you go. 
How about the bigger barn syndrome? You remember this one, Luke 12? He said, hey, I have crops I don't even know what to do with. Let me build a bigger barn. What did God say to him? Do you remember? This very night, your life will be taken. Then who will get what you've saved up yourself? You know, we could even plan. We can save. We could have a huge bank account. And then that very night, it can be gone. You know, material things don't satisfy. How about the, I love the bird picture, man. Take life easy. Just chilling. Guy's little drink, got my sunglasses. I'm hanging out in my beach chair. I'm cool. Take life easy. You know, one of the things I've found is that when you go out and you just take life easy for a while, it gets a little boring after a while. Like, oh, okay, well, I've sort of done everything around here. What else can I do, you know? Gets us in trouble when we just take life easy. We can have everything, everything, and still not be satisfied. So what satisfies you? You know, Paul had this saying, I love, and I've, I've just wrestled with how did he get there. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret to being content. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you content? You know, because our lives, it doesn't matter where we are in the financial scale or the retirement scale or the bigger boat syndrome or where we are, there is something about us that unless we can find that place of contentment, which we're going to talk about, we're just not content. Right. You know, how about... I think I passed one, right? No, wealth. Okay, now we're on to the kids. kids. Kids, lots of children. You know, today this is not as true. There's a guy over in the Middle East. I think he's on his 38th wife. He's shooting for 100 children. 100 children. He wants to have 100 kids. Now, why would you want 100 kids? You know, it, it's, a, it's a macho thing for him. It, it's like, you know, look at me. I fathered 100 children. You know, so I'm a big deal because I fathered all these children. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. He says, you know, in Psalm uh, 127, children are a heritage from the Lord and offspring a reward from him. I mean, I got to say, my kids are so special to me. I would do anything for them. I would lay down my life for them. I mean, I, I love those kids. You know, and now I have grandkids. I love the grandkids, you know. The thing that's great about grandkids, you get to hand them back, man. <laughs> you know, I can spoil them and then they, here, take it. You take it. You know, but think about this. For those of you that are married that have children, even our families can take away our ability to be satisfied. We are so consumed with our family, we forget to feed our own soul and be satisfied and see our family as an extension of God. That's what happens. How about life? Why can't life fulfill us? You would think, wow, he gives us this amazing life. He says in Matthew 6, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? You know, worry is the antithesis of satisfaction. 
Worry is the antithesis of satisfaction. You know, think back on the past week. How much did you worry, did worry take away your joy and the ability to enjoy your life? You know, we, we don't even take the time to really enjoy it. I mean, I can relate. This last year has been very stressful for me. I'm not going to go into the details, but it's been very stressful. And, uh, you know, and, and probably one of the most difficult things for me right now is I go visit Wyndham usually every other week and uh, just seeing his progression. You know, my dear friend who now can barely speak a word and can't even smile anymore. You know, he's lost the muscle ability to be able to smile. It's so sad. He has a disease called MSA, multiple systematic atrophy, and uh, it's just really destroying his body. But you know what I love about him? I, I was there on his birthday, and um, oh, just his joy. In spite of his circumstances, here he is in a wheelchair, cannot move, can't even move his face, barely, but he'd get this little smile. You could tell he was happy because his kids were around him. He was just enjoying life. And I go, wow, what a perspective on life. You know, there's plenty to worry about, isn't there? There is always more. You know, I've been uh, doing this uh, podcast called Bima. It's, it's done by a uh, Jewish rabbi. And he's been helping me understand things from the Bible. I didn't because I don't see things from a Jewish perspective. And this thought of a poetic, there's a structure in, in Jewish writing called chiasm. And what it is is that they start the beginning and the, the end, and you, you find this word or this phrase in the middle of this poetic sec- sentence section of Scripture And that is the most important thing. And in Genesis 1, you know what the most important word is? Out of all the creation, including us, is rest. Sabbath. Let me ask you something. A lot of times I thought about peace as being sort of like nirvana. But now I'm starting to realize that God wants us to be restful. He created us to rest. Amen. You ever thought about that? I mean, how easy is it for us to rest? I mean, really rest. I mean, even when you lay down, you got a million things going through your mind. I, I can't rest. I got to get up. I got to get going. Take some time to be restful. Amen. Just to put yourself at ease and see what happens to your soul. It's amazing. So, how do we satisfy our soul? First of all, we've got to trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty. Secondly, we've got to let God determine your desires. I'll explain that. And thirdly, we have to enjoy the reality of our present instead of always yearning for the future. Okay? What does that mean? Let's talk about trusting in God's sovereignty. Trusting in God's sovereignty. You know, what happens when we don't trust in God's sovereignty? You know, over in Romans 9, verse 20, and this is hard for us sometimes. It says, God is the potter, we are the clay. You know, sometimes we just forget who we are. You know, when I was a kid, my mom would take me over to Mrs. Levy's house. She was an artist. 
And I was really grateful for this. I don't know why she did this, but every Saturday morning for a couple hours, a couple times a month, she'd take me over to Mrs. Levy's house and we would do art together. And she had some other kids. And I think my mom just wanted to expand the borders of my, and thought maybe one day I'd be Picasso and, and make millions of dollars or whatever. But Mrs. Levy was really cool. She was definitely an artiste. She just had this, you know, she was flamboyant. She had colorful clothes. And, and every week we'd do something a little different. And one week we did clay. And so as you're making stuff, you know, and you try and make something, like I was trying to make a dog. That was the first thing. It's not an easy thing to make out of clay as a dog, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then once you make it, she goes, oh, you can't really fire that one because it doesn't have the right, you know, you got to have a hole in the middle and, you know, that will just blow up in the kiln. I'm like, oh, great, you know, wonderful. But so what do you do? You take the clay and you go. Oops. You just smash it back down again. You and I are clay in the hands of God. Amen. Wow. And sometimes we don't like that perspective mm. that he made us. We like to think we sort of made ourselves. Yeah. In America especially, you know, the self-made man or woman, you know, that we're independent, you know, especially in New England. Right. It's not true. Right. Everything comes from God. Job 2, 10. How about the curse God and God die syndrome? <laughs> You know, here you go through a really rough time. There's two ways to look at it. You can either have Job's wife's perspective, which is curse God and die, right. or you can have Job's perspective, yeah. shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Mm. You know, what's your perspective when you go through a tough time? Right. How about Second, 1 Timothy 6, 17? Don't put your hope in your wealth, but in God who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Wow. Enjoyment. You know, you think, well, he meets my needs. No, no, no. He's going to provide for my enjoyment. How many of you trust God that much to feel like he can provide for your enjoyment? What do you go after for enjoyment? Think about it. There's a lot of, I went through everything you can do. I was like Solomon, man. I tried everything for my enjoyment. Drugs, alcohol, women, you name it. I tried it all. But do you trust God for your enjoyment? I want you to think about that one. I'm not going to tell you how you do all this. You've got to wrestle with these things yourself. In Psalm 103, verse 5, one of my favorite scriptures about this, who satisfies your desires with good things. You know, there's a lot of ways to satisfy your desires. But do they get satisfied with good things? You know, I think about purity. You know, my relationship with Beth. One of the things I've discovered as I've gotten older, and we've been married 35 years now, is that the more I've given myself over to Beth as being my one desire in my life, the better our relationship gets. But when I'm distracted with impurity or if I'm distracted with whatever, then our relationship is dissatisfying. And now I start chasing after other things. This is where porn jumps in, guys. It's, it's a huge problem in our society today. 
But man, it's been amazing because my intimacy with my wife has grown so much. I'm not just talking about physical. I'm just talking about even our closeness has grown so much as I've just given myself to her completely. Amen. I've made the decision. Beth is enough. Beth is enough. There, I don't need anything else. Yeah. Beth is enough. And oh my goodness, I feel so much closer to her by doing that. Good things. He satisfies his heart. Finally, in Psalm 73, he says, Those who are far from you will perish, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. You know, there is no other refuge than God. There really isn't. Who's going to save you from yourself? Let alone all the stuff that you go through. Do you realize that God can change you from the inside? I remember when I was struggling with purity. I said, God, I'd wake up with these dreams in the morning. I was like, God, I cannot be pure and have this dream in the morning. Right? I said, you got to take away the dreams. The next night, no dream. The next day, no dream. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) I prayed for something just outlandish that God would reach into my brain and say, stop those dreams from happening. And they did. I was like, wow, is God powerful. Letting God determine our desires. Now, this is an interesting one. Let's talk about this. There are two tragedies in life. One is to not get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. That's a quote from George Bernard Shaw. Can you relate? Sometimes we get what we think we want, and then we realize that's not really what we wanted. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, you've already gone there. God has put eternity on our heart and anything else will not satisfy. It just won't. There's something about us. It's baked into us that unless we are connected with eternity, unless we're connected with God, we're not satisfied. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. This scripture has been misused over and over again. Why? We think if I just delight myself in God, he'll give me whatever I want. I got the magic lamp, baby. I got my cloth. I'm rubbing that thing. It's just popping out. Whatever I want. No, what does it really mean? He says, if we put our hope in God, he'll change our hearts to have the same desires as he does and we'll be satisfied. Our desires do not satisfy us. God's desires do. We have to allow God to change who we are from the inside out. And then we're happy. Sometimes we look at the external and we think that can make us happy. you got to start from the core. you got to start from inside. And then, God, once you get that right, everything else. You ever just walked out one day and it's just life is good? It's because your perspective on the inside is right. But when our, we're messed up here or here and we walk outside, it can be a day like today and it just is miserable. Why? Because it's us, not God. Psalm 73, we have to stay in the sanctuary of God to understand our life. There is a perspective about being in the sanctuary of God 
that helps us to see what's going on in life. You know, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, Psalm 73. You know, 95% of believers will face persecutions will pass that test. You know, you ever thought about that? What would happen if I got persecuted? I mean, really persecuted. Like first century persecution. But listen to this. 95 who face prosperity fail it. Ooh. That's an interesting perspective. You know, we think, oh, if I just, you know, life just whatever. I'll be great. Thank you, Lord. Right? No, he's saying, listen, persecution is what strengthens you. You know, a lot of times we don't like persecution. We don't like trials. We don't like things that are going to cause us to struggle, especially with God. God, why would you do this to me? But then we get what we want, and it takes our heart away. And we wonder why God sometimes does put us through challenges. It's because of this. And this was a Romanian pastor during the days of the Iron Curtain. He experienced this because he saw his country go from the Iron Curtain, for some of you don't even know what that means, communism in the Eastern European countries to now they were free. And he saw what prosperity did. I I witnessed this. I went over to Ukraine in 2008. And it was really interesting talking to Sean Wooten because he talked about when they first got there. And the people's hearts were just, they had 100 people, 500 people come to church. They baptized 100 people within the first couple of weeks the church even got planted. You go, how could that happen? Because the people had been suffering under persecution for so long that when they saw the light of life, when they saw Jesus being presented before them, they were excited. By the time I got there in 2008, there were some wealthy Ukrainians. Not everybody, let me tell you. A lot of them were not. But those people, God was not even important to them at all anymore. How quickly, 20 years had passed, and they'd gone from this place where it was this open door for Christianity that now it's hard to even get people to come to church. Not because of persecution, but because of prosperity. You know, enjoying the reality of the present instead of yearning for the future. You know, in Ecclesiastes verse 6, in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Better what the eye sees than the roving appetite. You know, we can, our eyes can wander. Our minds can wander. We can think, if I just have this, then I'll be good. Oh, and then the next thing, oh, if I just have this, then I'll be good. You know, what are you focused on? What you do not have or what you already have? You see, are you counting your blessings? Are you always feeling like I'm empty and I need to be more filled up? That's the perspective of God. You know, in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You know, there's a really interesting um, passage in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the shrewd manager. And this one, people wrestle with this scripture because they're like, you know, Jesus is basically telling this parable about this guy who's ripping off his boss. You know, he says he finds out he's going to get fired. And so what does he start doing? He goes to all the people that owe his boss money and say, 
How much do you owe him? Oh, 10,000 shekels. Well, cut it in half. And Jesus commends the dishonest manager. Why? Because he's using worldly wealth to gain friends for the future. What are we using our worldly wealth for? Is it to gain eternity? Or is it for our own gain? You see, I love having people in our home. We have a family group that meets in our home. We've got a great group. I love having that group. And, you know, we, we cook dinner for them every Wednesday night. And we, we try and enjoy. We celebrate everybody's birthday. We, we, we do it up. It's really an amazing group. And God's blessed us with three great couples in the last four years. And, but what I love about that group is it doesn't matter. You know, I could do anything for that group. And it really wouldn't bother me. Why? Because I treasure the relationship more than I treasure the treasure. I treasure the relationships more than the treasure. So I'm willing, like the shrewd manager, I give it all away so that I can have those relationships for eternity. That was the point of the parable. And finally, in Matthew 6, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. You know, like I said, our eyes can be going all over the place. You know, as I, I close out today, you know, I, I had to find that. There's the Rolling Stones song. You can't get no satisfaction. You know, we talked about a couple of things. What satisfies our soul and what does not? Have you ever really just thought about what satisfies your soul? I would encourage you this week to take a little time to meditate on that and to think about what would it take for my soul to be satisfied? I'm not talking about going out to the best steakhouse because that satisfies your belly, not your soul. You know, it's, it's finding what really fuels you, what nourishes you on the inside. I think a lot of us are malnourished, spiritually speaking. And so we need to figure out what does it take to nourish us on the inside? You know, when you want to grow a garden, you can, you can do a lot of things, but if you don't put fertilizer in the soil, what happens? The plants are like this big and everything on them is, looks measly. But man, you fertilize that thing. You put manure on My wife loves manure. She puts manure in her garden, stinks like high heaven, but boy, do those tomatoes grow like crazy. Why? They've been nourished. You know, in John 4, Jesus says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You know, Jesus has a way of taking care of our deepest thirst. And here's the challenge. When that deepest thirst is not met, that's when we wander. But boy, when we're at that good place and our soul is nourished and we're not thirsting for other things, that God has just, God is enough, man, everything else changes. Change your whole perspective. And just as I finish up here today, you know, have you figured out that God is the only one that can satisfy our soul? Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Awesome.